grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Last episode, we heard a personal story that covered themes relating to advocacy and how far we've come in Queensland. Today, we are following up again with Jigsaw Queensland's president, Dr. Trevor Jordan, about the emotions that can arise when doing advocacy work, how far we've come in Queensland and Australia, and what is possible in the future. Trevor is a long-term advocate of responsible adoption reform and education. For 20 years, he taught public and professional ethics at the Queensland University of Technology. As a person adopted in the closed adoption era, he developed a particular interest in ethics and adoption. Trevor, welcome again to Adopt Perspective. Tell me, are we all capable of making a difference? Oh, well, Joe, it's good to be here. And look, in my experience, we are all capable of making a difference. Um, and, And whether that difference will be helpful or harmful depends on whether we give some attention to not just what we're after the ends, but also the means, how we go about it. And, um, you know, often when we want something to change, we adopt a position uh, and we focus on personalities. But in my experience, if we focus on some principles, we can be more flexible uh, in social change and advocacy and we can learn. So that's the first thing. And the other thing about being able to make a difference is we can, while we're trying to make a difference, and some of these things take a long time, we need to learn to live well now, as well as we can now and not to be placing all our emotional, uh, investing all our emotions in getting an outcome. And we need to learn as well, to live as well as we can while we're on that road. Uh, in, the past, in the past, I've heard some people say, uh, you find the near edge of a problem and you act on it. You don't have to go to the centre of it. You find out how something's affecting you and try to act on that rather than taking everything into account as an individual. And you'll find that if you start working with other people, then some of that you'll get more more areas that you can cover in terms of social change. Yeah. Sure. Trevor, there are many people, um, adopted people around the world that are fighting for their rights still who might look to Australia and particularly Queensland with envy. What are some of the gains that we've made here since the early 90s? Well, that's right. I mean, uh, I, I've had the, the privilege of, uh, you know, through work interacting with people, for example, in the United States, uh, France, Italy, the UK uh, and other parts of the world and uh, certainly in terms of adoptee activism, trying to get access to original birth certificates, etc., and uh, they're just amazed at, at what what we've been able to achieve uh, in Australia. Okay, 
for example, we have a right to access our identifying information in Queensland. Um, uh, that will be given to us. We have we can access a copy of our original birth certificate, and original parents and their sons and daughters can state a preference uh, for whether they want contact or not and how they want it. Um, but the key thing too is one of the changes that's come in is there's no penalties if that's breached. So it's not we're not criminalised criminalising um, mothers and fathers and sons and daughters uh, through these changes in the laws. Uh, the names of putative fathers on adoption files are given to adoptees in Queensland. Um, if the relevant parties are deceased, then it's intergenerational. Their children and grandchildren can access information about the identity of the other parties, uh, the people they're related to. Um, and, you know, that's such, those changes in the law in the sense of getting what people wanted is one side of the story. But, of course, that comes with some anxiety because we're changing fundamentally the way in which people relate in adoption and that creates anxiety. So change creates anxiety. So one of the, the most important changes I think that's good in Australia is that both state governments and federal governments now fund, uh, fund post-adoption support services to help people negotiate these changes. It's not just the law has suddenly changed and people are, are left to, to floundering. They, they're, they're given services to help them negotiate the impact on the relationships that come with changes in law, and I think that's been particularly good. And if people want help, it's there. It's not compulsory. It's not mandated. Um, and, of course, the other fundamental achievement in Australia that Australians have acknowledged through their federal and state government that pass policies and practices with regard to adoption, particularly forced adoption, uh, we're, we're not up to the standards that we would accept today and in some cases we're often done illegally and unethically. And uh, so each Australian state has uh, made a formal apology for those practices and does fund professional education and, and direct support services to those affected. So it's a great achievement. And uh, it hasn't happened overnight, of course. Yeah, when you list them off like this, it does feel like it just all changed overnight. But the reality is that these changes have been the work of many people and, and many years. And I know that you played your part in making them happen also. What motivated you to advocate for these changes? Well, yes, all these changes are the work of many hands. And, uh, you know, and I did draw some satisfaction that I played as only a small part in this because this has been, well, Jigsaw has been around, for example, for 43-plus years and there's many other people who have started this journey a long time ago. Uh, I'm personally involved because I was the product of the closed system of adoption where official records were sealed forever and my adoptive mother took full advantage of that by not revealing my adoptive to status and my doctor father thought differently uh, and when my mother died he gladly disclosed the secret and provided some information and I've lived through successive adoption information regimes where he gave me some information I wasn't entitled to any from the government and then they had provided non-identifying information about my my mother and um and any other siblings I had to then later the laws changes and they provided identifying information. Um, so, you know, I've had a deep personal interest in changes of policy because these things affected me. And uh, the, part of the adoption trauma is 
is that when you go and ask for things that there's knowledge there that the government of the day has and they say you're not entitled to it it kind of, it kind of makes you feel pretty bad so uh yeah. i think i think i thought i don't want this for other people i was lucky i was able to combine my professional interests which you know as a an academic teacher and researcher in applied ethics and public and professional life i was able to combine that concern with public ethics and policy with with uh, uh researching that in the area of adoption plus being able then to make personal connections with activists uh overseas and i and i must uh, say a lot i got a lot of insight from you know american uh, adoption congress people who adoption reform people in the us and the activist group called bastard nation in in uh, adoptee activists in the usa who have very strong social change agenda and are particularly using the internet to coordinate uh, action and responses uh, and uh, so you know things came together for me but you know during that process i was still not having access to 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 information and uh so that that kept me going and then then when you get when you do get information you realize that's not the be all and end all you you do need support and you do need to to put all this in context and be able to to, to negotiate the relationships so that's why it's good to have the services around I imagine that over the years you learned a thing or two about the processes involved in advocacy. Something that I find personally doesn't help move things forward in any kind of negotiation or meeting setting is when people just keep pointing out the problems. What are your thoughts? Well, that's right. I mean, I found that uh, the most, you know, receptiveness to to my point of views and Jigsaw's point of view is when, when we've been able to offer solutions and not just problems. Um, you know, everyone has a gripe and, uh, you know, what we, there's people who want what we want and there's people who want the complete opposite and just focusing. So what is a solution for us can be a problem for other people and their solutions can be our problems. So, you know, we have to learn uh, to let pol- policy make, is know as clearly as possible what we would like to see happen and why. If we just focus on the problem, it's just saying, oh, I've got a problem, you deal with it. And mm. there's enough people affected by adoption to to sit down and talk about, well, what would, what would make things better here? What, what would move things forward? Uh, rather than relying on people who aren't affected by adoption to tell us what, you know, uh, uh, what would be good for us? I mean, that's been part of the problem in the past with adoption policies. People not really affected, assuming what 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 would be the best best for people affected by adoption. So, so the, the key is to let policymakers know what you'd like and what would you like to see happen, and provide them with simple talking points, preferably backed up with information and evidence if you've got the resources. And if you can sell an idea to a policymaker, your local representative or a government minister or an opposition person, then they can sell it to others. But they find it hard to convince others if they if you haven't provided them with a clear view of what you want. And sometimes, you know, you need a blurred view of what you want because there might be even better solutions out there than you've thought of as well. So it's good to keep humble as well. I imagine that good listening skills would come in handy when advocating. 
Oh, absolutely, because I think, you know, a lot of activists then go in knowing what they want. Uh, this is the, other, the dark side, if you know, of, of being clear about what you want, but they don't listen to see the problem as the public policymaker sees it, because you've got to remember that the policymaker is probably interacting with a lot more, a wider group, possibly a wider group of people affected by adoption and they're trying to balance those interests. Uh, you don't want them just to take sides. Um, you want them to, you know, to, to, to make the decision that, that that's a, a, a sound, fair and just response. And, and so you need to listen carefully to the, the policy, the problem as they see it. Uh, and if you think their viewpoint is wrong, then you, yeah, you have to counter it or neutralise it if you can. But it's very important part of listening to to show respect for the person when you're doing so. Um, being respectful towards others is particularly helpful in influencing the public and the policymakers who are undecided because that, uh, that shows you, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of interested in dealing, dealing with their questions and, and not just uh, going in there and trying to steamroll roll them yeah. with your sense of what you think is right. Trevor, um, I'm often triggered by media and lobbyists calling for increases in the numbers of adoption in Australia, and I do not work or think well when I'm in that frame of mind. How do you balance your emotions and stick to the facts during these discussions? Well, that's that's an interesting thing because I'm in the same boat in some some sense. If you you know, it's easy to be to be triggered by. Uh, these things, and uh, it's, in, it's but it's important to let policy know the, the there is an emotional impact of their policy and practice, but not to overdo it. I mean, some people's view of activism is that uh, is that you go in as passionate and showing as much harm as being done to you as possible. It's almost like going in with a wound and trying to get a sympathy response for them. But your opponents can get teary too and be passionate. So that. Passion is important, but it only takes you so far. And it's important to try and rethink your the impact of of what's happening to you in terms of the principles that would help things change for you. What needs to change for your lot situation to be better, rather than to adopt a position? Because when you know you can negotiate on the basis of agreed principles and shared values, but with positions you can only take sides. So you need to, and that's the problem with, with relying too heavily uh, on the, emo, the emotional response. And uh, I think it's very important as, as an activist not to make this all your life, to seek other, other sources of wellness and living well, to stay centred on who you are and what you want and what you want things to change um, and not to be totally reliant on, on those change happening perhaps within your lifetime. Um, but celebrate them when they do. So you have to have to find resources for you to stay on keel and not to be buffeted by the, you know, it's good when people agree with you and you get, get what you need and what you want, but it's not to be buffeted too much when things don't happen. Um, that, that can be just, a, you know, going from pillar to post. So it's good to develop some personal sense of, if you like spirituality or centeredness that um, that keeps you on keel no matter what's happening to you. Yeah. And I mean, for us, the people who are affected by adoption, it's a major and priority issue, but that isn't the case for everyone out there, is it? 
No, well, adoption affects a lot of people. Uh, you know, when you add up the, the you know, the, the parents affected and then the grandparents and the siblings and all that, it's hundreds of thousands of Australians are affected. But Australians are affected by other issues as well. And really, it is a minority issue and sheer numbers, if you like, votes. You know, if, you know, I, I'm adopted or whatever, and I, and I vote. Stick it. It's not going to get you very far and carry the day with policy, mate. You can't force a policymaker's hands. And as I said sometimes before, we're not the Sopranos. You know, we, <laughs> we can't we can't get people to do what they don't want want to do. And I feel that, like a Soprano why, sometimes, Trevor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, some people think, you know, you can twist people's arms, but, um, you know, it's very important because it is a minority issue. Um, Trevor, when you enter a room to discuss um, adoption issues, I can't say discuss today, when you enter a room to discuss adoption issues, what have you packed into your strategy bag? Well, I think the first thing is you've got to breathe deeply. Um I think it's very important to be to try to be the reasonable person in the room. Um, I've found, particularly, I've found if I've had the opportunity to be in the room, and this doesn't always happen uh, in forums where there's people with, from different sides of the fence, as it were, uh, in the discussions. Um, then, by being the reasonable person, then you're you're viewpoint will will stand out a little bit more so you listen respect listen with respect to everybody show respect uh and don't show disrespect for your opponents if they're in the room with you let them make that mistake because if they do if they show disrespect and policy makers see this they might think well why should these people why should i agree with these people when they're they're being rude to these other people, you know, in my presence. You know, it's it's a bad strategy. So be the reasonable person in the room. Um, show respect for, for everyone there. And, and then offer constructive ideas. Um, you know, you, you want things to move forward and you want to get, try and be able to, to, to offer ideas. And if others offer ideas, if Firm their contribution. Have a think about it. Have a think about. Well, I didn't think about that, but maybe. What? what how can we do something there? Try to find. You know, that's that's important to be constructive. Uh, I've found it helpful um, to, to try and identify three core principles to keep you moving in the right direction, and also so that you can assess any new information coming to you. So, for example, personally. Um, I, you know, I developed uh, the three three guiding principles that that I work on is openness and honesty at all levels. So, does mm-hmm. the po- policies encourage openness and honesty? Is information being given and shared? Um, you know, um, then there's the, the the lifelong best interests of the child. So, not just as when they're a child, but when they're an adult. Does this policy look after the lifelong interests of the person it's meant to be about? And then the third principle for me is because I don't want the law to define every area of our life, is that is there adequate support services both before decisions are made and after decision made? So whether it's fostering or adoption, are there adequate services? Um, you know, because without that, social change is high anxiety and without providing support services, um, then you're just transferring the anxieties from one group of people to another. So I usually try to use those broad principles to assess whether the information 
that being given by a policymaker or someone else's idea, how it fits in with that. And, you know, not to have like a list of 20 or 30 things, you know, life is complex and things will have to be worked out, but to try to have some guiding principles that one can flexibly assess the information that's being, being, being presented to you, um, at the time. Now, because of my professional, professional background, I have a, a deeper list of things that anything to do with public policy and, and ethics that, you know, is it caring? Is it honest? Is it accountable? Is it something a good citizen would do? Is it fair? I mean, that's a deeper kind of thing that I'm used to doing because that's the kind of expertise that I had in my career to be able to, to run, if you like, make values-based decisions. And, you know, and um, I think we all could benefit by, 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 by looking at what, what are the core values that that underpin our interactions with others and our our policy objectives. Um, the other thing is when I enter the room, I try to find out who in the room here actually has their fingers on the keyboard. Mm. Who's actually doing the work here? Because the minister or the, you know, the honcho is not necessarily the one. They're the one who's getting information from others or the information that they're hearing is being processed by advisors. But who's actually got their fingers on the keyboard developing a discussion paper or doing the research and find that person and make sure that they're getting the information you want them to have or that they know that there's a communication line to you or your organisation if they need information about numbers or impacts or what uh, might happen if they were thinking of doing something. Uh, now, obviously... You know, when you when you, you have a discussion paper and you know, they ask for submissions in these committees, then you get that opportunity. But even before that, you should try and find out, if possible, who's actually working on this, and um, and, uh, and 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 uh, provide them preferably sort of evidence and reasoning to support your case. Uh, but you've got to be wary of over um, over personalising issues when you enter a room to discuss the issues it's you know, to be if you like it's a be professional uh, um, it's not all about the persons because the persons can change I know with adoption cha legislation change in Queensland from 2000 to when the law was changed in 2010 we dealt with five different ministers during that period so if you over personalized your relationship with any particular minister they may not be there you know they might move on to another portfolio so um, and that's done over personalised in a positive sense, like they're good and friendly and receptive and these people aren't. Just try to, to think in terms of, uh, okay, these people can change, but it's the government of the day I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to um, provide information for. The other thing when I enter a room, I'm always aware of my own, uh, you mentioned triggers, but because of the past trauma of adoption, when stakeholders meet together with policymakers, uh, it's good to try and, and if we're in the same room, to try and set some ground rules. We've done that in Queensland, and when we, we uh, the various stakeholders meet with the government, there are ground rules for how we run the meetings so people aren't triggering each other, and it helps to lessen bullying behaviour and manipulation, and these things can be addressed because there's some ground rules for interaction. So that that helps make life in the room where you're discussing the issues a little bit more, bit more pleasant uh, and less, less triggering. Mm. Trevor, can you give me a bit of a brief 
um, overview about the Queensland Government's most recent call for submissions and what Jigsaw Queensland sent through to the department? Uh, yeah, well, Jigsaw did, did make a submission. Uh, there was some amendments uh, being, being made to some adoption legislation and child protection legislation. Those amendments happened, but those amendments were a response to the Deputy Coroner's remarks uh, uh, around the, the death of Mason Jet Lee, who was in care at the time about adoption as a genuine, quote, genuine, unquote, adoption uh, option in Queensland. And those amendments were to clarify the current situation because Queensland has two laws with regard to adoption and, and child protection and some of the other states have it under one act. It was really the amendments were to clarify the permanency options in Queensland and where adoption was part of those options. But in Queensland, current Queensland uh, policy is to see adoption as the second last option other than under fostering under the um, direct control of the director general, uh, so you know Queensland favours permanent guardianship and uh, permanency for kids who are floating around in 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 the foster foster care system. So the amendments were basically to clarify that people were upset by these clarifications because they thought I think some people thought these were new things or this was a statement of of uh, yeah, this is the bigger opportunity to to review the Adoption Act when they it really wasn't the Adoption Act comes up review oh legislation comes up review regularly every five years so next year is when the whole Adoption Act is being reviewed so I think that's I think people got upset because the clarifications they didn't understand the context of the clarification so Jigsaw supported those clarifications which were really just stating what 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 the current law is in Queensland but we took the opportunity in our submissions to to say that there's unfinished business at the both state and federal levels after the apology and that adoption has to be significantly different from past practice so we put that in our submissions and are both written and to the and to the committee in person. But here's an important lesson for activists: you need to keep present your activism in a timely fashion. Next year, when the adoption legislation review is the time for people to really make the suggestions about how the adoption uh, act should uh, should be reformed, because you know you keep your powder dry until it's time. Uh, you don't keep building little fires all the time. A lot of activists just keep building little fires all the time instead of gathering the wood and then at the appropriate moment, you know, getting a nice bonfire going. But mm. next year is a time for us to really, as a as a community of in, people who are interested in adoption reform, to address those issues. And um, and uh, so you know, so we did an in, we did a submission that time just to to indicate yes, that's good uh, that people know that. You know, permanent guardianship is preferable to adoption in Queensland policy. Uh, but yeah, but to see that next year's is 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 the time to make even further changes. Mm. Um, Trevor, the bill's been put on the back burner while the government is in caretaker mode. Away. Well, there you go. <laughs> no matter what hard work you put in, you can't. Yeah, we touched on. You can't control <laughs> these things, can you? <laughs> you can't. Can and, so we could potentially be dealing with an entirely new political party next year. Is this something you obviously? It is something you consider in your advocacy work. You know, how do you consider it? I guess. Well, yes, I think it's very. That's 
why it's very important not to focus on one politician or political party. I mean, when the two thousand back in two thousand when adoption legislation was review was announced back then, certain people within a government can of the day can have a view of adoption that's different perhaps than even the majority of their party and you know a lot of social change activists work on the idea of champions you need a champion in the government or you need a champion in parliament but sometimes the people with a different view to you have the champion and you don't so that's why it's important not to put all your big eggs in one basket as it were of expectations to develop positive relationships with decision makers across the board um, you know, and, uh, you know, and sometimes positive policy outcomes be delivered by politicians that you otherwise don't agree, you know, and also not only that, but your political hero can drag the chain on adoption reform because it's not high on the, their agenda. Um, so that's why it's so important to try and get bilateral support, bipartisan support, and to get, you know, use the diversity within the adoption community to get the ear of politicians around to get that support. You, you know, we've got to be wiser serpents and innocents as doves because, uh, you know, this is the reality of, uh, is that uh, whoever's in, in political power at the time is looking for good news stories and any politician that's out of power is wanting bad news stories. And that's exactly right. You, you have to be careful how you use that, that you don't feed inadvertently feed a beast here but but you know you, you know anyone will take a bad luck story but whether it creates enough energy for reform in our area is sometimes dubious but you need to keep up those personal stories to the community you know we've come so far from that 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 kind of situation now and you know it's been a long been a long haul but it has been the work of many, many hands, you know, and no, no one person can claim any credit for this. And, um, you know, and, and in fact, it's very important that as many people as possible, that the government of the day gets the message from as many different diverse groups of, of stakeholders and people affected as, as possible. Mm. These are great tips, uh, tips, Trevor. And I think that during this time of coronavirus, when our emotions are often running high, they are particularly relevant. So thank you so much for your time today and for all of your support, wisdom and ethical advice during the production of the podcast. It has been quite a year and, as always, you have steered Jigsaw Queensland through it safely and with innovation. Well, thanks, Joe. <laughs> it's You're good welcome, to be appreciated. <laughs> it's good to be appreciated now and then. <laughs> so we'll say goodbye to Trevor now and um, I'll just ask, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a prospective guest form to fill in and submit to us. And remember that the podcast is listened to all over the world. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on and drop us a review and please share us with your contacts so that more people can access information and support. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 33 58
If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.